This is Age of Treason Radio. On the White Network. Daddy always smiled, took me by the hand, saying someday you'll understand. Well, I'm here to tell you now that you're never mother's son. You better like it fast, you better like it young, cause someday it never comes. With your host, Tan Stoffel. Coulter's radical rhetoric. I had wanted to talk some more about morality and identity and how those two things are related to each other. And as it turns out, I had done a podcast that I titled Morality and Identity back uh, toward the latter half of 2012, shortly after I had started making podcasts, uh, because it's one of the most important topics that I had uh, boiled things down to and and I think it's worth talking about again but I got a little sidetracked uh, mainly by uh, current events and uh, the relation to this topic of morality and identity when I went back and looked at what I had discussed and Coulter was in that podcast and I had uh, quoted her saying um, let's see I'm skipping a little ahead here she said, while conservatives have been formulating carefully constructed arguments, liberals have been playing a long-term game to change the demographics of America to get an electorate more to their liking. A little bit further on, she said, there's a strange asymmetry in how this matter may be or can be discussed. Liberals and ethnic activists boast about how America would be better if it were more Latino, but no one else is allowed to say, we like the ethnic mix as it is. That would be racist. By now, no one even tries to disagree. And I didn't actually listen to my podcast last time, but I, my feelings really haven't changed about this. It's uh, honest in a sense, and it's dishonest in a more important sense. It's what she says is true uh, about identity politics. And about the same time I was doing this podcast, I either shortly before or shortly after went into uh, what is identity politics? And, and uh, just to put it in a nutshell, identity politics is the idea that, that every non-white group has uh, interests and has the right and the, even the duty to organize to pursue those interests, but not whites. And identity politics, as it's usually uh, seen by the left or liberals, and it really comes from Jews, uh, is that that's the divide. It's it's a, a totally different uh, standard, and it's a moral standard that that uh, whites aren't supposed to have any sort of white organizations. That's uh, stupid, crazy, and evil. And this is what Ann Coulter is getting at. She's and she's pointing at this and calling it a strange asymmetry. Anyway. Uh, it, What's in the news is, and this has been a long time coming, and there have been many other notifications of it, but uh, just this uh, 
recently, I, this month, I ran into a story from California State University at Northridge. It was in their uh, newspaper that was titled, Latinos Will Pass Whites as Majority Ethnicity in California in March. That's in their daily sundial. And uh, it talks about how it's really going to be a plurality. It's not really a majority versus minority thing. It's uh, the Latinos are projected to eclipse whites as the plurality, the largest racial slash ethnic group, uh, by a margin of 39% to 38.8% respectively. And then the, the thing that's notable about this article, it's a very long article, but it gives you a glimpse into the kind of dishonest, even more dishonest than Ann Coulter and more distasteful. It's um, The article is written by someone whose surname is Patel, which is an Indian surname, and it quotes non-white ethnic activists uh, greeting this news that uh, Latinos are now going to uh, eclipse whites. And um, discussing it, and and uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I, you know, I just wanted to mention that uh, some of the dishonest language in here. Uh, a Pan Africans Studies Chair, this that means, uh, you know, somebody who actually is the chairman of a uh, an academic committee at the university, agrees that the change is significant, as it is a more realistic representation of global demographics. This is. Uh, Amazing. It's more reflective of the global society we live in. This uh, Pan Studies, Pan African Studies chair said, we have been conditioned to think that the white majority is normal. But if we look globally, the majority is people of color. And it's interesting uh, that a non-white puts it in that way, that the, the majority of the globe is non-white. And so therefore, it, that's actually the norm and that's good and right. And that that's the way it should be everywhere, not just everywhere else in the globe or as the globe in total, but even in America that was formerly majority white. And this gets a little bit at the, um, the, the dishonest language of majority versus ma- minority and how that's been used in the past um, as a, uh, a thin edge of the wedge to trick whites really into seeding um, – moral legitimacy of ourselves, that the, the argument basically was that as the majority, whites have a duty to look out for minorities, to, to protect minorities and the rights of minorities, and to make sure that they aren't abused. And we see this in what's going on in Ukraine right now, and, and any time uh, anything of any significance happens, it's usually the rhetoric is that uh, it's it's the majority's duty to watch out for the minority. And this is really a Jewish thing. It comes from the Jews and it's to serve their best interests because they are always describing themselves as a small minority wherever they are and that therefore their interests have to be protected. It also, the majority minority language uh, implicitly assumes that the majority has the power to do this. And that's tied up with the idea of how democracy is supposed, supposed to work, that, that the majority can vote for its own interests and, and outvote minorities if there's a one-man, one-vote type of scheme. And, and as we saw when blacks took over or got the full vote in South Africa, the, the minute they did, they immediately voted out all the whites, or at least most of them voted blacks into power. And that's uh, non-whites vote as a, a racial block and even are 
federal court uh, decisions in the United States have been made based on that presumption, that uh, assumption. Really, it's not a presumption; it's a it's a known uh, phenomena that that uh, non-whites vote as blocks like that, and uh, it's the idea behind gerrymandering too. That's uh, off on a, a bit of a tangent from what I had wanted to talk about. Um, you know, basically the idea, and there's this term people of color too, which I've talked about before, that, that people of color is just a euphemism. It means non-white. It means everybody who's not white. That's what a people of color is. And, uh, it's interesting that this black, uh, that's what pan-African means, another euphemism, uh, this, this black professor at this university, uh, imagines themselves as part of this larger, uh, identity called people of color, that they have something in common with other non-whites for the simple fact that they're not white. And it's that simple. That's what holds people of color together, is their um, opposition to and animosity towards whites, their their distinction of themselves from whites. And the idea also, this this and it's not in this part that I just read or, or quoted from, but elsewhere in the article and in other articles that in the same vein, the word diversity, the term diversity, and, and especially more diversity as being a good thing. And uh, what more diversity means, of course, is just less white. In order to increase diversity, you have to decrease the number of whites. And this this is where morality comes in, because it's this is um, a value judgment, really. It's, a, it's saying that more diversity is a good thing. And that means implicitly or, or indirectly that Less white is a good thing. And the flip side of that is that racism, quote unquote racism, which is a purely uh, white phenomena uh, as it's used by uh, the, the current establishment, um, is a bad thing. And that too, that's a value judgment that uh, basically if something is too white, then that's racist and it's bad. So therefore, more diversity, less whites in American university is good. And the rationale is that it's because whites are a minority. So it's sort of a tautological uh, circular argument there that uh, making whites more of a minority is good because they're already a minority, basically. Uh, further into the article, it talks about how this is um, – the, the significance of this news is that it makes the importance of ethnic studies even more urgent and, and the requirement that ethnic studies be taught. You know, basically the, the view of politics and history from a non-white point of view is what they mean by ethnic studies. You know, positive view of the non-whites and their cultures and history and a negative view of, of uh, whites. So, you know, more diverse and more non-white implies that it's more urgent and required to have more pro-diversity indoctrination. A little further on, it says um, how it's important that we live in a diverse world and you want to understand the racial dynamic and specifically about diversity. uh, It will make a more humane citizen of the world. Instead of just protecting your own interests at the expense of others, that's what these ethnic studies are supposedly doing. 
you see how you are implicated in the system of social injustice. This is just mumbo jumbo. This is uh, uh, little code words of, of their own from their ethnic studies. This is how they they justify it. And this is this is part of the dishonesty I'm talking about. This the idea that they're not just protecting their own interests at the expense of others, because that's really what this people of color rhetoric is in this pan-African studies. It's pan-African just means blacks promoting black interests, their own interests at the expense of others, uh, specifically at the expense of the whites who built the university, who who uh, are the majority of the teachers there and, and provide uh, the majority of the funding uh, for the school through uh, state taxes. Um, and what's interesting about this statement is that it's saying basically that in order to be quote unquote successful, white people have to tolerate and understand non-whites. And this is something that non-whites complain about whites. You know, that they complain that whites expect them to understand all about the white world and, and white history and so forth and seeing things from a white point of view. And the answer to the problem, of course, is to just separate. Don't force people to learn about each other's cultures and interests. Uh, but that's uh, too simple of a solution to be considered uh, a solution. The um, an, A section a little further on is titled Addressing the Individual Needs of the Latino Plurality. And interestingly enough, it actually argues that Latino is really kind of a bogus term because the Latinos are really a very diverse group. And they point out one particular fault line that, that really divides the Latinos, and that is this um, – I should just read the statement here. It says it highlights the point that we're a very diverse group. Not all Latinos are in support of the ethnic studies or even know what it means to be a Chicano. Well, what does it mean to be a Chicano? A Chicano is uh, that's a name that they created for themselves or or at least adopted for themselves in a positive sense. It used to be have a disparaging meaning. Uh, as early as the 20s and 1920s and 1930s. But it means basically a Mexican born in America who isn't a Mexican and isn't an American, a white American, an Anglo is what they call that. Um, it's more or less an explicit racial identity. And they have a divide, these Chicanos, who have this sense of themselves as a people separate from white Americans and also separate from Mexicans. Uh, that's more explicit than these more assimilated-minded Mexican-Americans. They actually make a distinction between Chicanos and Mexican-Americans. Anyway, you know, the point is that that um, it's interesting that there the diverse suddenly loses its code meaning of less white. And they're diverse. They're trying to say they're trying to point out that they're that Latino is sort of a an amalgam of of many different people. And in fact, it's uh, multiracial. It's uh, gradations of of uh, between Amerindian, pure Amerindian, all, all the way up to uh, pure European, uh, his, Hispanic or Spanish uh, heritage, and every conceivable mix in between, with a, a little bit of uh, African thrown in there as well. Uh, the Africans were absorbed into that mixed population. Um, but <laughs> despite this, right after this section talking about how they're so diverse. Uh, which you could say the same thing about whites, that whites have, you know, Italian whites and Irish whites and Anglo-Saxon whites all have their differences with each other and 
uh, uh, German whites. Uh, there's plenty of distinction. There's plenty of diversity, really, within whites alone. We don't need to add Asians and Africans and uh, Amerindians to the mix to increase our diversity. Uh, that only uh, harms all of our, uh, our only harms our own uh, interests. Uh, but the the point is is that right after talking about the that the article goes right back to pretending that there is a solid uh, Latino group that is at least at least has political solidarity amongst itself for you know winning the spoils in the political system and uh, uh, organizing along those lines, but also that it's part of this it's a subset of this people of coalition people of color coalition against whites. And it talks about how um, 65% of the full-time faculty at the university are white, and there's only 10% that are Latino, which leaves 25% that are something else that doesn't specify what. And it says explicitly that the majority of the professors are white males, and a little later on talks about how 90% of the students are students of color, non-white. So only 10% of the students are are uh, white at this college, but 90 percent, uh, or sorry, uh, 65 percent are are of the faculty are white, and that includes Jews. So probably half of the 65 percent are actually Jews, but they don't break Jews out uh, into a separate uh, group. They don't identify them separately. That's part of the uh, uh, the game where where Jews pretend that they're white, and they'll get rid of all the white professors or most of them uh, in order to reduce the number of uh, lowercase whites uh, to to fix this supposed problem, this this uh, injustice that uh, whites are overrepresented in the faculty and uh, people of color are underrepresented. They actually talk about how the school serves, how that faculty serves a Latino or person, people of student of color, uh, student body. But then, then their rhetoric talks about how they're traditionally underserved, the, uh, the non-whites. Um, it's, uh, that's part of the dishonesty, too, the, the jumping back and forth between how they're served and how they're also underserved, usually. And it's really just – this is the Jewish narrative generalized to Latinos and people of color. It's the Jewish narrative being, you know, if Jews are doing something wrong, just – Blame somebody else. Blame white people. And this is what they're doing here. You know, the wrong is that uh, a country, a state, a university built by whites and still staffed and funded by whites is has been overrun by in an invasion, really colonization by foreign alien people. And they're complaining loudly that some wrong has been done to them. Uh and at the very end of the article, it talks about how they need a um, – they expect resistance, but they need a dialogue. And, you know, there's really nothing to have a dialogue about. The dialogue, uh, to the extent there was one, was had in the past. And we know how it turned out. This is how it turned out. They are uh, taking over, not just that school, but the state, and not just that state, but uh, America. And the only uh, dialogue, if they were interested in one, would be – why don't you make your own schools and then you can hire whoever you want to be the teachers. But, you know, the other point about this and the final point about this article is that there's this implicit assumption. It's actually, it's fairly explicit that 
in order to best serve the Hispanics that are going to school there, they need more Hispanic uh, professors. In other words, that a race of students is best served by, or a racial group, uh, is best served by its own people teaching them, at least when it's not white. Uh, Ann Coulter. Now, uh, I've already mentioned that I, I had talked about her in a, a previous uh, podcast. Lately, Ann Coulter, in the year and a half since I, I talked about her, she's actually been writing uh, and several times about uh, immigration over the last uh, 18 months. And most recently, and back in just this February, she wrote uh, an article titled, Did I Move? We're living in a different country now, and I can't recall moving. She has a very sarcastic tone. Ann Coulter, um, I don't, I used to thought, think that she was clever when I was a conservative of the neocon variety. She seemed to me very witty. And now I find it grating because she's sarcastic about things that really don't, the sarcasm is really just a, um, a defense mechanism or a way of really denying what's the seriousness of what's going on. Anyway, uh, she, she takes that kind of sarcastic tone here. I can't recall moving. Had I wanted to live in Japan, I could have moved there. Had I wanted to live in Mexico, Pakistan, or Chechnya, I would have moved to those places too, although maybe not. They have stricter immigration policies than we do. I'm sure they're lovely, but I wanted to live in America. Now I can't. At the current rate of immigration, it won't exist anymore. The Democrats won't win elections there, so they changed it. And this is where the dishonesty comes in. You know, Ann Coulter is a professional pundit, political pundit, which means that she's pretending that there's this left-right, liberal, conservative, Republican-Democrat divide, and that that's the most important divide in this country. And so she pretends that when she's complaining about something, that it's the fault of the Democrats, the liberals, the leftists. And those are the terms she uses. But it's really, it, it reads more accurately if you just understand that what she's talking about is Jews. And she doesn't want to face that reality, but that is the reality. America was a white construct, and that's what's being destroyed. Not the buildings, the people are being displaced and dispossessed of the country that they and their forefathers built. The nation is being wrecked. Not the country, not the political parties or their principles. That's not what matters. It's the people that matter. And the non-whites understand that, and they organize to pursue their interests, and they'll vote for whichever candidate is going to uh, promote their interests. And whites are told that that's racist. And even Ann Coulter goes along with that. And uh, like other conservatives that are still in the mainstream, still allowed to have a soapbox to talk on, uh, pretends that race isn't important to her. And there's a bit of cognitive dissonance here, a lot of cognitive dissonance in what she talks about, because race is right there. And she's not fooling the leftist liberal Democrats. They're all uh, pointing at her and uh, identifying what she's saying as racist. Why? Because they can see that she's dog whistling. She's talking about white interests without saying that she's talking about white interests. So she was at uh, CPAC, this conservative uh, uh, political group that had a conference, the Conservative Political Action Conference uh, that was just going on this past weekend. And this is the, what's really in the news and, and what was really so radical uh, after this year and a half or so of talking about immigration in terms like I just quoted. 
she the first story that I ran into, and this was in isolation, but it turns out that it's linked with some other things. She says uh, she's talking about how um, black people, how it harms, how immigration harms black people. I mean, my whole life I've heard Republicans hate black people. She's heard it from Jews in the media. I've never seen any evidence of it until I read Marco Rubio's amnesty bill. We are the party that has always stood up for African-Americans. Who gets hurt most by amnesty, by continuing these immigration policies? It is low-wage workers. It is Hispanics. It is blacks. So she's doing what she was complaining about, the, the asymmetry. She's expressing her displeasure with immigration by saying that it's, it hurts black people and it hurts Hispanics. Why not just say it hurts white people? Why can't she say that? Well, she knows why she can't say it. She knew Joe Sebrun, and uh, she knows that Joe Sebrun was uh, run out of uh, political punditry, fired uh, literally and died uh, penniless and, and uh, in poor health, uh, demonized uh, for identifying the, the Jewish role in all of this. She was in the same uh, series, the same debate that she was having uh, on a stage at CPAC when she said that. She also said that um, MSNBC, uh, quote, celebrate, celebrates the uh, browning of America, but if you don't celebrate it, you're a racist. It's going to be uh, people who are not from America who are going to be, in theory, funding older white people who are getting to their Social Security and Medicare age. I don't think that can last. At some point, they're going to say, screw it. In other words, when the Mexicans get control, they're going to cut off that Social Security, which is going to be money flowing from them to whites, uh, something I realized 10 years ago. Uh, I used to think everything was about sex. Now I realize everything is about immigration. And this is where she really got uh, controversial and uh, radical. She said, um, amnesty is forever, and you got to vote for the Republicans one more time and just make it clear. But if you pass amnesty, that's it. It's over, and then we organize the death squads for the people who wrecked America. Death squads for the people who wrecked America. That's um, It's caused quite a, quite a stir. I'm surprised, really, that she hasn't been uh, – that it hasn't been a bigger stir and that there haven't been more prominent people uh, saying how unacceptable it is, that kind of rhetoric. Um I assume it will happen over the course of the next weeks and months, and I expect that uh, Ann Coulter will no longer uh, be uh, writing uh, at the various places she's been writing. She'll be more like uh, John Derbyshire and uh, have to find uh, uh, some other uh, job. But whatever happens to her, the dishonesty here is that it's the Democrats, the liberals, who wrecked America, and she's – actually confronting the fact, I think, that it's really both parties that have wrecked America and that it's already happened. So why are we waiting for the death squads? If she thinks that it's uh, it demands death squads as retribution, then it should start now. Uh, as I've said on my uh, the tagline on my blog for for many years now has been stop immigration, eject the invaders, hang the traitors. I said that uh before I was even racially aware, I realized that this was a, a betrayal of the American people, even when I really didn't focus narrowly, more narrowly on the white Americans, the betrayal of white Americans. But it's clear that from her own rhetoric that Ann Coulter realizes that, that 
she identifies with whites, that whites identify with her. Her audience is white people and that this is being destroyed by immigration. What she isn't confronting full on is the Jewish role in that. And as I always recommend in situations like this, uh, Kevin McDonald wrote a, a, an excellent summary titled The Jewish Involvement in Shaping America Immigration Policy, 1881 to 1965, a historical review. And uh, a couple of things that are clear about that, not only laying out that, that this thing was a Jewish project, it wasn't Ted Kennedy and it wasn't the Democrats. It was a Jewish project and that it was a long-term project that started the minute they entered the country. It, it didn't happen after World War II. It began when they first got to America. Racist is a button that non-whites push to make whites do what they want. And whites need to realize that and stop behaving like Pavlov's dogs and uh, blubbering uh, apologetically the minute they hear that word. Hopefully Ann Coulter will soon. 